0: Welcome to Lawyerly, the podcast for lawyers and those who love them. I'm your host, Sean Kennedy of Herrera Purdy. So we decided to do an emergency episode today to cover the election results. And my guest is Sean Trendy, who is the senior elections analyst for Real Clear Politics. He's also an author and frequent guest on national news shows. And as his Twitter profile says, he's a recovering attorney. Thanks for joining us, Sean.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So here we are, three days out of the election, and we're still waiting for confirmation on who won. Where do things stand right now from your perspective?
1: I mean, I think it's, it's more or less over. You know, this, this morning with ballot dumps in Georgia and Pennsylvania, uh, Trump went ahead or Biden went ahead in those states. Yep. Um, we just got a, a ballot dump out of Maricopa County that wasn't as as good for Trump as as he had been hoping. Uh, so, you know, there there's still votes to be counted. You know, we, we can put that out there as a disclaimer, but for all intents and purposes, especially given the way the ballot counts have been going, it seems likely that that, that Joe Biden is going to be the next president.
0: Yeah, yeah, it seems seems that way. Um, how significant is it? Do you think that? at this late stage um, Biden has taken the lead in Georgia, Pennsylvania, and he still, still leads in Nevada. You know, are those, do you view those as sort of insurmountable at this point?
1: It's hard to say. I mean, cause if you look at the Georgia absentee ballot map, like there are still a lot of rural counties that have, you know, 20 ballots here and 10 ballots there and they add up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I, I think, You know, the networks haven't called these races yet for a reason. There's still military ballots that can come in um, that will likely skew Trump. So I I think it's there's probably a reason they haven't called it yet, but I think the writing's very much on the wall.
0: Hmm. So what about what's happening with the Senate and the House at this point?
1: So the Senate, Arizona, not Arizona, Alaska still has only counted about half its ballots, but unless something just really strange happens there. Uh, They're gonna send a Republican uh, to the Senate. Again, they're gonna reelect Dan Sullivan. So that'd make it 49, 48 Republican. We have North Carolina uh, where Tom Tillis, I'm not sure what they're waiting on to count there. Tom Tillis is up by like a point and a half, but, but North Carolina's absentee ballot deadline isn't for another few days. They have to be postmarked on election day but ballots will trickle in for a while. So that's going to be an election. You know, Tom Tillis probably wins that. That gets Republicans up to 50. Um, Kelly uh, Loeffler out of Georgia, an appointee in a special election. We always knew that race was going into a a runoff. So that Mm -hmm. runoff will be held January 5th against Raphael Warnock. Um, And then David Perdue, Um, you know, so Georgia has this unique law where if you don't get 50% of the vote, it goes to a runoff. Uh, and for the longest time, it looked like Purdue was going to pull it off, uh, and then he just fell right below. He's at like forty nine point uh, eight percent. Oh, close. <laughs> so, yeah, he's going to be going to a runoff, and so you're going to have the the Senate looks like it's fifty forty eight Republican right now, but there's probably two runoff elections coming January fifth.
0: So, uh, do you think those skew in favor of the Democrats in those? seats at this point, or where do they stand, do you think, in a runoff?
1: You know, I think I'd rather be the Republicans than the Democrats, mm. to be honest. You know, Georgia, even though Trump looks like he probably lost the state narrowly, um, it's it's still a state that, that David pretty almost got a majority of the vote in. Um, not only that, but I think there are a lot of voters who are, you know, just never Trump voters, but who aren't Democratic mm-hmm. voters yet. And so, you know, the, the message in the runoff election is not going to be, this is your chance to cast multiple ballots against Trump. It's going to be, don't give Joe Biden and the Democrats a blank check by letting sure. them call the Senate. Uh, and That's a powerful message. So I'm not saying the Democrats can't win them, uh, but they're going to be, I would rather be the Republicans.
0: And if Trump has already lost, that might affect... Uh, turnout as well, if people aren't turning out to to vote against him.
1: Exactly, exactly. Now, one one of the candidates is an African-American pastor, actually, at Martin Luther King's uh, church. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, we think black turnout will probably be robust, perhaps unusually robust for a, for a runoff election. Um, but the question is, do the angry suburbanites come out for the hmm. runoff? And I just think a lot of the energy probably dissipates with Trump. Got
0: it. So I saw a couple of days ago that you tweeted that Trump might have won if he hadn't had sort of the disastrous performance in the first debate, or or even have come down with COVID nineteen. Um, explain what you meant
1: by that. This race look like, looks like it's going to be very close. You know, it's probably going to be decided by. It's probably going to in, in the electoral college. It's probably even going to be closer than twenty sixteen was. You know, mm. probably looking at. Uh, uh, you know, maybe 10,000 votes in Pennsylvania, 10,000 votes in Arizona, and a handful of votes in Georgia. Uh, and so we don't really think news reports change that much in elections. Um, but uh, that's not, we aren't nihilistic either. We, we you know, events do matter. And if you look at the trend lines in the election, President Trump's job approval was improving his vote, share of the vote was improving until that week where he had the first debate, the COVID diagnosis, and then it just plummets. And then he mm-hmm. comes back up again. Um, if their margin were, some of that is almost certainly like people said, I'm not sure. And then they just came back to the fold. But, but by reminding voters of two things they didn't like about the, about president Trump so close to the election, you mm-hmm. know, the way he handled that debate his personality. Um, and then the way he's handled COVID, I Mm -hmm. I, I can totally believe that changed 5,000 votes in key swing states.
0: Sure. That's my next question, really. What does move the needle in these battleground states? I mean, is that that just sophistry to try to figure that out?
1: Yeah, so there's, there's actually a grand political science theory called the minimal effects theory that I think most elections analysts subscribe to. Uh, which is that campaigns don't matter that much at the Mm. end of the day. And and, and the kind of day-to-day game changers don't really change that much. The die is probably cast early in the election year by the state of the economy. Uh, And by the way, people have kind of built up their perceptions of the president, but you know, there are error margins. So let's say we given the state of the economy and the COVID pandemic, you know, a major news story, you know, President Trump was at, say, 46% in, in uh, June of 2020. That doesn't mean he can't bump it up or bump it down. It just means that's kind of what we expect. And it's not going to change like 15% in the mm-hmm. closing months of the campaign. Uh, so it, it's a little bit of, of each. Like I said, the, the economy is is the big thing that drives elections. You'll get virtual unanimity on that from election scholars. Um but, you know, a major event like a war or pandemic certainly plays a role Sure, well.
0: sure. Uh, so let's talk about the polls. Why do you think they were so very wrong?
1: That's a very good question. Um, so in 26, and I'm going to have to give a long-winded answer here. That's a little do you, please do. <laughs> but, so the analogy I like, my dad has a 58 Ford. Um, and when you pop the hood on it, there's like an inline eight engine. There's some wires for spark plugs. There's a battery, a radiator, and that's it. And Mm. we can fix anything on that in a day. I mean, if we have to rebuild the engine, that takes longer, but we can do anything on it quickly. I have a 2016 Ford Explorer and you need an electrical engineering degree to change the oil. (laughs) That's the difference between poles today and poles 30 years ago. Hmm. 30 years ago, it was a 58 board. You got a list of, of names, you dialed them, everyone picked up the phone because we didn't have caller ID or cell phones and you got your sample and it was good. You hardly had to do anything with it. Today, response rates are like 2%. Uh, hmm. and Like 2% of people will take the poll that you call. And so not only that, but there's biases to it. Um, and, and who will pick up the phone and who won't? So, (laughs) are you are
0: you just getting the extremes at that
1: point? So, so so what pollsters will do is you get your sample and it's like ninety percent. It's like eighty percent whites with college degrees in your sample. We know that's not what America looks like. Mm -hmm. And so, basically, you you count African American respondents more. You Hmm. count. You count Hispanics more, you count older voters or younger voters more because they don't pick up the phone as much. Hmm. Um, and that, that's when we talk about waiting. That's what we mean. Um, and so what you usually do is, you know, the composition of a state from the census, you know what the racial composition is, you know what the age composition is. And so you, you wait before you put your likely voter screen in place. You wait it up to those demographics. And that's how we even get in the ballpark usually. So that's all background. In 2016, the thought was that in the past, it didn't matter if you waited by education because whites with college degrees and whites without college degrees voted the same way. So if you had too many whites with college degrees, it didn't matter. 2014, that started to diverge. In 2016, it became a chasm. You know, Mm -hmm. Trump was winning whites without college degrees by 40 points with college degrees were very narrow. And so people thought, well, we just aren't getting enough whites without college degrees in our sample. We'll weight that sample up um, now, and that will help the accuracy of the polls. 2018 rolls around, um, and, you know, the, the errors weren't as big, but Mike DeWine didn't lead a single poll for governor of Ohio. Hmm. Governor Ron DeSantis didn't win a single poll for governor of Florida. Governor of Florida, um, you know we were supposed to have Democratic senators in Indiana and Missouri, both of them lost. We were supposed to have a Democratic governor, and I. So anyway, we saw the same. I could go on. Mm-hmm. So that made us nervous, and then of course in twenty twenty, that breaks open to a chasm. So there's kind of two theories, one of which is less bad than the other. The first theory is that it's not just education, it's place. In other words, if you have a sample where among the whites without college degrees, you're getting too many baristas and college students, you know, Mm -hmm. urban whites without college degrees, you're still going to be off. So we also have to wait by place, you know, like what you really need to get up late are your, your farmers and your displaced steel workers and stuff like that, that we can do. The nightmare scenario is that it's actually an attitude, Um, that one of the defining characteristics of Trump voters and increasingly Republican voters is low levels of social trust. They don't think the American institutions work anymore, and they don't think they work for them. So if the pollster calls these people and they're like, hi, I'm from the New York Times, I'd like to click, Um, (laughs) not even shy Trumpism where you won't tell the pollster, but just you won't even talk to them. Yeah. If all other things being equal, a Trump voter won't talk to a pollster because of an attitude, there's nothing you can do about that because we don't have demographic information on attitudes. Hmm. Um, The census doesn't ask them. And by definition, you can't get at it by polling because the people aren't responding to polls. Um, If that is what the problem is, there's nothing you can do about it.
0: Interesting. I mean, it sounds – so I I think I would fall into that category of people who still think – that polling works like a fifty-eight Ford, um, but it sounds like those all of the individual decisions that you're making about skewing, you know, weighting the the results are obviously you know determinative of the outcome of your polling. Um, yeah, and and some of that is just fairly educated guesswork.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's objective. There's more. Some ways are more objective than others. Like mm-hmm. I said, if you know that Ohio is sixteen percent African American. And you get a raw sample that's eight percent African American. You know, counting those African Americans twice will get your sample up to sixteen percent African American. Where it becomes an R where it becomes an art is deciding what the salient factors are. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously, you need to have a racially representative sample, but do we care about education? How much do we care about education? How much do we care about age? How much do we Mm -hmm. care about? And then you get into other things like type of employment that you could theoretically wait on. At that point, it just really starts to become, it does, it becomes an art.
0: Hmm. So you had a lot of bad artists. Yes. (laughs) Recently. Uh, What polls were the worst
1: in your mind? I mean, you have to look at that. Uh, you have to look at that poll out of um, Wisconsin, that ABC WAPO poll that had Biden up 17 points. <laughs> right. Um, that AB, but then again, ABC WAPO had Trump up two in Florida. It was the best poll in the country. In Florida. Mm. But in general, the, the pollsters that we think of as the best pollsters, you know, the, the New York Times, Siena, ABC WAPO, NBC, Maris, like they can all point to successes here or there, but they were the ones who were the most biased. Um mm. uh, so that's not good either.
0: Interesting. So what's the difference between the polls that we see, the polls we hear about, and the candidates' private polling? It it seems like they always think. At least, they're more in the know than we hear about.
1: The campaigns have, nowadays, you have virtually unlimited resources, right? They're raising a billion dollars. So mm-hmm. um, they can collect like 100,000 person samples, you know, because they have the resources to do that degree of polling. Um, and that's, you know, that's a real advantage they have. It But they still can't get away, get around the social desirability bias. thing. I, I have no doubt that the campaign polls were at least somewhat skewed as well. Hmm. Um, you know, I had heard rumors of, from some of my GOP contacts that the House races were a lot closer than public people were saying. I've heard rumors from Democrats that, no, this is going to be like 15 or 20 seats in their favor. But, you know, that's mostly spin. So we, 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 the problem is we, we just don't know at the end of the day what the campaigns were really seeing because they don't release that as they go.
0: Sure. Uh, so talk about the difference between the accuracy of the polls and projections and then the way that those polls projections are reported or used.
1: Yeah, so that's uh, my dad is fond of st- saying, uh, you know, statistics don't lie, but statisticians do. Um, <laughs> and that's where things start to get, kind of a mess. Like it's one thing to get a poll that has Donald Trump down 17 points in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin. It's another thing to look at that and be like, oh my God, Trump's down 17. It's like, no, he's not. <laughs> you know that. So, um, you know, one thing that we like to do, what we do and what we're kind of famous for is we just average the polls. There's actually a mathematical mm. justification for it. It's actually, it's called the law of large numbers of all things, but it says that if you take multiple samples, over, as, you're, as you're, if, if you take multiple samples from a population, your average of those samples will converge on the true population. So there, there's a mathematical justification for it. Um, you know, other people like Nate Silver are a little bit more, uh, they do things that are a little more complex. They weight pollsters by their accuracy and they try to fix for house effects, how far to the left or right they tend to be. I think, you know, we don't do those. I think there's problems with them. And I think they might've been borne out a little bit in this election, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, they're justifiable. Um, but we, we just, I think we take a more straightforward approach.
0: Did the polling affect the outcome here and the way that the polls were reported and, you know, sort of the, the general consensus that, that, Biden's going to win, not, not only just win, but he's going to crush Trump. Did that um, really drive some outcomes?
1: I don't, I don't, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say no, then yes. I don't think it mattered there. The, the political science research way before we came as, became as polarized as we are in the age of Trump suggested that polls really don't change. Like people turn out to vote regardless of what the mm. polls are saying. Where it might've mattered more is in Senate races. Um, in house races. So the new mix, for, for all the talk about um, Lindsey Graham, he's going to win that race by 10 points.
0: Like, mm-hmm. It was not
1: a close race in the
0: end.
1: Amy Harrison raised over $100 million uh, for that race that, you know, he's going to lose by 10 points. Got a ton of coverage in the press, you know. Um, so and if he hadn't gotten that coverage in the money, it would probably have been 15 or 20 points. So what about the race in Minnesota where Tina Smith won by five points? Right? What, if Jason, what if that race had gotten more attention and Jason Lewis had raised $100 million? Mm-hmm. The race in New Mexico is going to be about six points. I mean, I do this for a living. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head who the Republican candidate was there. Like that, I can name all these <laughs> Democrats who ended up losing by double digits because of the amount of media attention mm-hmm. paid to them. Um, you know, the, the Kansas race, like the, the Kansas, the, the Barbara Bowling is going to lose that Kansas race that I read hundred think pieces about by twice the margin of victory of Democrats in Michigan and Minnesota combined. Um oh, and wow. so yeah like the combined margin of victory for the democrats in Michigan and Minnesota is going to be about 6 points and she's going to lose Kansas by more by about 12. So that's where you can start to tell a story that maybe it matters like that, that these senate candidates didn't get the attention that they deserved because of the the, the bias in the polls. Mm. That's plausible.
0: Mm. So this is the first time I remember different news outlets having very different approaches to Calling states for one of the other Candidates fox news obviously has taken a much more aggressive approach than say cnn um, that approach Doesn't seem to be driven by politics on the outside at least fox called arizona for Biden three nights ago for example and cnn as of right now still hasn't called it uh, What drives that difference?
1: So that's something I don't know, and I think a lot of people are scared, are are scratching their head about. Mm. Um, you know, I think networks are being extra careful this time because it's a weird year. Um, you know, we have so many ballots being cast mail in or absentee. Um, that we don't know if traditional patterns hold. Like usually you can look at a state and say, okay, this is how absentee ballots have traditionally broken. And so we can kind of project out what's going to happen. This year, we just don't know. Like we don't know if ballots, you could have a county where absentee ballots were 80% Republican, where this year they will be 80% Democratic because, you know, we've expanded absentee balloting so much. And so many Democrats have been urged to vote. Absentee Republicans have been told not to. Mm. Um, so it just makes projecting so much more difficult. Um, mm. so I, like I said, I, I don't know, like I think given how close it looks like Arizona is going to be, Fox probably got a little over its skis and maybe mm-hmm. even a little bit lucky with that early call. Um, but again, it, this, this really is a judgment call on how aggressive you want to be on calling races because traditional patterns don't hold.
0: So I haven't, I haven't looked this up at all but my my guess is that fox got better ratings at least relative <laughs> to what they had in the past um and i mean i just look at my own reaction to it i think it's probably human nature that we don't want to be told just wait you know just yeah. just wait and be patient for three four five days whatever we want to hear like who won you know we want to hear somebody making predictions, even if they turn out to be wrong. Um, so <laughs> did, did Fox kind of happen into something that's probably the, the future, which is, you know, a, more of a ratings-driven approach?
1: You know, I, I'm a frequent guest on Fox, so I will not cast <laughs> a decision on their vision desk so, approach. Yeah, look, these, these are businesses at the end of the day. I mean, sure. I think they serve a public good. Um, but they're businesses. So that seems like a reasonable theory. Yeah. Um, you know, you, it's weird. You know, I spent a lot of, an inordinate amount of time on Twitter. Um, and like people are going nuts right now, like yelling at CBS and, and, and <laughs> CNN to call these races. It yeah. doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> they can never call those races. <laughs> They can wait till election day, like uh, inauguration day, to call those races. It doesn't matter. Like the vote count is the vote count, and it's going to matter what the secretary of state certifies. And just chill. Yeah, I
0: think though that that's revealing of the fact that it really does matter to people. You know, we want we just want to be told we're told this is what's going to happen. Okay, you know, either for good or bad,
1: right? Uh, I, I put out a tweet to this effect, and, and one of my more active followers was like, "This is ridiculous! Like Joe Biden is going to be the next president." And I was like, "Yes, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so why do you care?" Like, <laughs> anyway.
0: Yeah, we'll find out eventually. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about some election law issues, since you're a lawyer. Um, the president has been talking about taking this thing to the Supreme Court um he's now filed lawsuits in Pennsylvania Michigan Nevada Georgia uh what are the issues involved in those lawsuits and how do they matter really for the outcome
1: i mean i i i want to say nothing like there are really, <laughs> you know m- most of these lawsuits seem pretty baseless mm-hmm. um you know i i i may What I, what I was telling people in the run of the election, like the only reason that 2000 came down to a Supreme court decision was because that, 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 you know, Florida was decided by 400 votes. And it was the type of thing where judgment calls and, you know, the legal standard for county ballots really could make a difference in the presidential Mm -hmm. outcome. Um,
0: that's yeah not, how how does it make a difference in Michigan where yeah. Biden's up by 150,000 votes? Right? Exactly. Is there something that they've been able to identify that moves the needle that much? I can't no. I can't
1: imagine it. No, I mean they they're pointing to these I mean there there was one point where like 123 absentee ballots 123,000 absentee ballots were counted for Biden and none for Trump and they're like this shows the fraud. Mhm. It's like, well, yeah, but what they do is they sort, when they pre-process the ballots, they sort them out into Democratic and Republican and they run through the Democrats and those are all going to be for Joe Biden. Um, it's not that unusual. But but regardless, like, no court's going to look at that and be like, oh, you know, this, this is fraud and validating right. the election. Right. you know. Right. So I think what you have to look at is that a lot of this lawsuit, these lawsuits are for, are for show, mm. they're for trying to start a narrative that the election was stolen. They're mm-hmm. there to get out policy talking points to GOP voters from the coverage that they're gonna generate. Um, and that's it, like it, 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 they're their PR moves more mm-hmm. than they are litigation. And I think that's how they have to be evaluated. That makes sense.
0: So as an elections analyst, what is this time of year like
1: for you or this time of four years? <sighs> I'm just glad it's over. <laughs> you know, really, it's not over for us until Thanksgiving. Um, you know, uh, starting in October, September, things get really busy in October. They're nuts. I think I was telling you before we went on, I, I've basically been on TVs and podcasts nonstop since Tuesday. Um, <laughs> and it's it's you know it's it's exhausting uh, but it's also what we you know we, it's 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 the reason that you, you can think of like 2021 to 2023 is like the off season where you mm-hmm. do your workouts and get everything up to speed with with some scrimmage games in 2022 uh and then this is our super bowl like this, this is the playoffs this is what mm-hmm. we do it for so it's exhausting uh you're glad when it's over but you know, it's, it's, the payoff for all the work you've done. previous.
0: Have you been sleeping at all? No.
1: no. <laughs> Last night I, cra- I, I, so Tuesday I was up almost all the night and Wednesday I was going to try to get some sleep and then I got a call at nine o'clock, um, from a, a major show. I, I couldn't turn down and so they wanted me to do a one 15 in the morning hit I stayed up till, you know, I was up till two. Uh, Last night, I just crashed. I was out by 1130. Hopefully this weekend, my kids will decide to sleep in and then I can sleep in.
0: Yeah. You go go on a big vacation in December or something?
1: (laughs) Normally, yes. You know, in this COVID world that we're living in, probably be put off to next summer.
0: True. A uh, staycation. How about that? Yeah.
1: There's a, I mean, you know, I my uh my to do list around the house is you know it's like Santa's not <laughs> goal that like goes across the room, so there there's plenty for me to do in a staycation.
0: Yeah, well, congratulations for getting through it.
1: Oh, thanks, thanks. So,
0: what can we expect from you in the future? Any upcoming books or projects or anything?
1: Well, I'm actually. Uh, Part of, you know I haven't written a book in a decade um, mm. going on, and part of that is because I actually went back to grad school in 2016. I'll be getting my PhD hopefully in 2021, mm. uh, so you'll have to start calling me Doctor Trendy. There you go. Um, <laughs> and uh, and after that, hopefully, I'll uh, I'll be writing some books. You know, mm. I, it was it was I found. You know with the rise of Nate Silver and some of the political scientists who were writing on elections now I didn't have the mathematical background I needed so I, I, I got all the stats that I could ever want um, so hopefully now I can I can focus more on applying that knowledge in my interesting
0: so you, you, you went back work. and got the chops on the uh, on the hard statistics and things
1: yeah that's that was the that was the strategy my, my wife has the patience of a saint. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, well Sean it's been a pleasure to have you on the show thank you so much for taking time out to join us
1: oh thanks thanks for having me happy to do it and uh, you know, good to catch up after all these years absolutely
0: that's going to wrap things up for this special election episode thanks to Sean Trendy for joining us on the lawyerly podcast as always if you like what you hear Please subscribe to Lawyerly and give us a five star rating wherever you get your podcasts. Production services for today's episode are by Four Hours of Sleep, and the music for the show is by Rhythmic Revival. Until next time, I'm your host, Sean Kennedy of Herrera Purdy.